0: kids first coming attractions before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the voice america empowerment channel we'll take you behind the scenes interview celebrities and review new movies tv shows and digital releases now here are your hosts from kids first coming attractions
1: Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Boys of America Kids Network. I am Benjamin Price, and today we will be talking about Cruella, The Human Factor, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, and Cerebrum. Uh, let's start off the show by talking to Tiana about Cruella. Uh, so let's get into it. What did you think about the film, Tiana? Cruella.
2: I thought that Cruella was a truly amazing film. Um, it had a lot of features to it that I think I really loved personally. Like, I really loved the fashion um, and how they did a lot of upcycling with the outfits. Like, they used newspapers um, for it, which I truly did love. And um, also, I did like the color palette and I loved how kind of the story the storyline kept changing. There was a few times in it where you start going on to one thing, and then it kind of switches to you in, like, a whole other world, in a sense. So you start on one path, you start thinking one thing, and then in, like, one second, it'll change on you. So those are really what I liked about this film.
1: Um, So let's get into what it's about, because it is a little strange just looking at, like, the the profile of this movie like being set in London uh specifically in the 70s that this is connected to 101 Dalmatians so can you talk a little bit about um how this connects to other Disney movies
2: so in some of the ways that Cruella was similar to 101 Dalmatians is they did have most of the same names like the names of the dogs I um, mean some of the characters but The only real difference is that they kind of talk more about Cruella's backstory and how she grew up. So uh, one thing that I did find that was pretty interesting is that the original 101 Dalmatians film came out in 1961, but this film takes place in 1970, so I thought that was pretty interesting knowing that she was like a kid growing up in the 1970s, but... She was an adult in the 1961
1: movie. Um, And so finally, what what star rating or what age rating would you give Cruella? Cruella?
2: I would definitely give Cruella a 5 out of 5 stars. And I would recommend it for ages 10 to 18 plus adults. I know I've watched this film like 4 times already.
1: And it was really great. All right. well thank you so much for talking to us about it today. You are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about Cruella, The Human Factor, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, and Cerebrum. Right now we're switching gears from Tiana's review of Cruella to hear Zoe's interview with Tipper Seifert Cleveland from the film Cruella.
3: Hey everyone, I'm Zoe Canella reporting for Kids First and today I'm with Tipper Seifert Cleveland. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Why wow, you look so different without the wig on? <laughs> Yeah, Okay. <laughs> do. Yeah, Cruella, the film is a very audacious and bold take on the classic Disney story. And you give life to Estella at just 12 years old and it's very pivotal in the story. So what do you think defines um, Estella's personality at her age of 12?
4: <laughs> well, I think she's very bold and confident and very creative and she doesn't really care what anyone thinks about her. For sure. And this is an origin story and Cruella
3: is a fascinating villain and um, I think it's really important to know like where she comes from and how do you think this is going to impact audiences? Uh, I
4: think no one's, everyone's going to see the real her and why she is Cruella and why she's a scary evil woman, you know, and I feel like everyone's going to, they're going to find out, they're going to learn about her backstory.
3: Yeah, of course. I totally agree. And I was very touched by Stella's um, early childhood because as a middle schooler, I know bullying is a huge deal nowadays and um, it affects people on so many different levels, considering some are more vulnerable. So how do you think Stella really just protects herself?
4: Um, Again, she doesn't, doesn't care what anyone thinks and she's like, I am who I am and you can't tell me otherwise. Um, Yeah, she just doesn't listen to them, and she fights back. Yes,
3: and I love that she also builds a family with um, the people surrounding her as well. Also, I'm curious to know, did you ever work with Emma Stone so you guys could have some of the
4: same mannerisms at all? Um, I saw her a few times on set. Um, Yeah, I saw her a few times, and we didn't really talk about the character or the work. We just, you know, had a nice chat. Yeah, she's a really nice guy.
3: It's awesome. I love Emma Stone, and I've always loved her. So I just, I'm just curious. Um, and you play a very in tar- of no, you've a very intense, um, I guess, position in this film. So what do you think for you was most challenging, portraying the physical, I guess, part of the role or the more emotional pain that she had to go through?
4: I think it was I. The emotional pain was harder to play because I had already begun being this, yeah. I'm and no one can hurt me. I understand that no one can hurt me. And then, and then the mother, uh, and then something bad happens, and you know, she gets sad, and that's hard. That was harder to play.
3: Yeah, I'm trying not to say any spoilers, but yeah, no. Was... <laughs> um, and the film is visually so impressive, and it makes me want to visit London even more than I already wanted to go. So, how was it? dressing in the era's fashion and being in these locations
4: the location the sets were amazing um the there was so much work put into them and they were so extravagant and bold that was it was really really amazing working in and, and you know you would be in the set and then like you'd just be walking on the street and then you'd go in here and you'd be like what and it'd be completely different yeah
3: yeah. Are you from any like part in
4: London that was close to where you were filming or is this like totally, yeah. amuse- Oh, okay. Yes, I was. I lived, um, when I was, well, at five, I've moved to Cornwall, but before that i lived just, um, right by in Queens park actually. Yeah. Well, that's awesome.
3: And the soundtrack I think is amazing. I love all this, um, song choices.
4: So do you have a favorite song? I loved all of them. Um, all of them, I I have always been growing up listening to. Um, my parents are musicians, so a lot of that they that's their taste in music. And um, so I loved all of them really. That's I have no favorite. Yeah, me too. Um, I think
3: the soundtrack choices were very well fitted, I guess, with the storyline. Yeah. Um, Cruella is definitely a visual banquet, and this movie, um, I think you could fully enjoy it on the big screen, which I was really hoping I could, sadly, because COVID, I couldn't. But um, what do you love the most about, I guess, being an actress and working on uh, this type of project?
4: Oh, um, I think being Cruella was quite amazing. You know, growing up, watching it, and then playing her was really cool, and she's so cool and so amazing and bold. I love playing her, yeah.
3: Yeah, I loved your performance. You did such an um, astonishing job as well. And I I want to see the film again. It was really good. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, So what was, I guess, your favorite or memory or um, something fun that happened on
4: set? Um, My favorite memory was sharing a cake with Emma Thompson. That was quite cool. And also I loved the swing scene when I'm flying in the air. That was really amazing because I actually did it and I was harnessed, in. that was my favorite scene to film. That's so cool.
3: How was it like, um, I guess you kind of had so many stunts in there when, oh, you had some like jumping. I guess I don't want to spoil anything. You know, like you had to do a couple of things. So how was it filming
4: all of that? That it was really cool. Um, I did some training beforehand, and I did a lot. I did a few of my own stunts. That was quite cool. To, that was really cool to film, like being in wires and stuff. I did lots of stuff like that. That was really fun. It's really fun when you're really just jumping onto Max.
3: <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool seeing that, and also, I am a huge dog lover, and I just want to know how was it working.
4: With the dogs on set, that was, it, was it. Yeah, it was. It was really amazing. I got to keep um uh, one of the buddies. I actually have now, so that he he's a big part of my life. And he's, I think he's somewhere in the living room. But that was really. He was really fun. It was so amazing. I loved working with dogs. You know, which is an excuse to cuddle puppies, really. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I the
3: love between a human and uh, animal is insane, and the little chihuahua
4: I think his name was Wink. Yes, Wink. Yes, yeah. was really so cute. The eye patch.
3: Yes, that was adorable. Um, so how was it? I guess um, building a family, or how did like did your character kind of feel? You know, considering the circumstances, and then having to go from having so much to having you know not yeah up. um
4: uh that was that was quite inter- it's interesting to film um the differences from the, the big quite getting it all and having quite a nice life and then you know having it narrowed down that was that was quite cool that was interesting to film that was hard
3: yeah of course and um also, how do you kind of relate to Estella or I guess, cause you kind of played Estella and Cruella, I, I guess in points you were a little bit more re- rebellious than others, um, kind of like
4: Cruella. So can you relate at all to either of the characters? Um, I can, I, I, I do quite a lot of sewing on my sewing machine as well. And I quite like making clothes and that was so cool getting the part and being this pet girl who also sews. It was like, it's quite easy to film that bit um that was yeah that's I think I can relate to that bit yeah
3: yeah uh, I think that's that's so cool that um you could relate to your character in that kind of way I always wanted to know how to sew so
4: that's mm-hmm. do you want to um uh, I'm gonna s- tell everyone to see Cruella on May 28th yes come and watch this come and watch Cruella on May 28th please, please. yeah you won't uh, regret it, it. <laughs> no you won't you will not <laughs> Thank
3: you so much, Super, for talking with me. I had such a pleasure talking to you. And once again, the movie
1: was beautiful. Let's take a break. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by The Genius Generation.
5: On the Right Road with host Paula Phillips has arrived at Voice America. With remarkable heart and realness, this popular program brings inspiration, ideas, opportunities, and help to teachers and parents around the globe who work daily to guide kids on the right road in school and in life. Join the Right Road family of kindness, uplifting, and support Tune in to On the Right Road, live every first and third Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are
0: tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Cruella, and next we'll be talking with Ashley about the new documentary, The Human Factor. So, Ashley, what did you think of the movie?
6: It was awesome, Ben. I... Loved. It was actually a documentary. Um, I don't know a lot about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. That's honestly been recently going on, as well as previously. But it was really interesting to learn more about it.
1: And can you talk a little bit uh, about what the documentary is covering?
6: Sure. So it's talking about the um, how Americans, specifically the President Clinton administration, how they try to basically get a peace treaty between um, the Israelis and the Palestinians due to their really honestly growing conflict that's been happening for decades now. And it's really interesting because instead of seeing it from the Israeli or Palestinian leader's perspective, we see it from an American perspective.
1: Huh. So that sounds really interesting. Um, did, do you, you talked about it a little bit in and- talking about what you thought of the movie, but did you have any awareness of the conflict prior to watching the documentary?
6: I did. I mean, I had um, a general knowledge of it. I knew that it was happening. I knew that was currently happening, but I didn't really have the details on it or um, how it started or what was really going on. I didn't have the details of it, but I did get a vague description of it.
1: And how did the movie kind of enhance your understanding of that uh, conflict?
6: So for me personally, the only knowledge I had was from the um, foreign um, perspective, but seeing it from an American perspective on how we try to get into um, the issue and try to solve it, um, or at least try to, um, that's definitely how it heightened my perspective. Um, Seeing that we try to enter into this foreign Um, conflict and still try to solve it for years. I think that was really interesting for me. Um, It just developed my learning of how Americans um, are involved in foreign conflict.
1: Yeah, it sounds really, really interesting. So in documenting this Israeli-Palestinian conflict, what kind of um, sort of choices does the film put into place to sort of help make it easier to digest for the audience?
6: So, in the very beginning, they give um, historical context so the audience knows exactly what the documentary is centered on. For me personally, it wasn't enough um, because, again, I don't have as much um, knowledge on this specific topic. I honestly think I should, but I don't, and I think that it would be a lot better if it did. But other than that, um, it definitely just adds a lot of visuals. And a lot of, you know, documents within the film in which you can really understand and grasp the aspect of every, you know, issue that um, the Clinton administration had um, with dealing with this issue.
1: And was there a particular point in the movie, like a statistic or a sort of subtopic that really, really surprised you about the, um, top, or about the subject of the movie? Yeah honestly it's just that
6: it's so ongoing like sure. you know it's just, you know it's happened a while back i'm not sure like the exact point in time but it's been happening for a while and even you know today and recently in the news it's been heightened and so just seeing how much it, it showed the um actual like it, for a short while it showed the um you know, other presidents, um, after the Clinton administration, um, and this basically the same leaders of that time of the Clinton administration talking about the same thing. That was just really interesting to me just to see how this issue is still ongoing today.
1: And talking about, the, I mean, the, the topic at the center of the movie taking place over the course of multiple decades, does the documentary itself do a good job of kind of condensing um all that information into like a you know movie length runtime and did you feel like it was overwhelming or um did it not pack enough in
6: i would say i don't think it was overwhelming at all actually Um, When it came to the time frame, again, it's just like the President President Clinton administration. So it was just solely focused on that because I believe it was the first uh, presidential administration that actually got um, a hold of this issue or wanted to um, bring America into this issue. So it just really showed the start of America's involvement inside this issue. So it was really just focusing on on the Clinton administration. And at the very end, it did show some little aspects of the other presidential um, administrations getting involved in the conflict as well.
1: And uh, what star rating and age rating would you give The Human Factor?
6: I gave The Human Factor four out of five stars and I recommended it to ages 13 to 18, as well as adults.
1: Alrighty, well, thank you so much uh, for talking about that movie. It sounds, okay, it sounds very, very interesting. <laughs> it um, is: Great. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to the kids' first coming attractions with the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about Cruella, Jurassic Park, Camp Cretaceous will come up in the next segment, and we just finished hearing Ashley talk about the human factor. Right now, speaking of Jurassic Park, we're going to talk to Ethan about Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous Season 3. How are you doing today, Ethan?
7: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm doing well. I think the last time I talked to you about something, it was also about uh, mythical creatures with Godzilla vs. Kong. So it's good to be yeah. back.
7: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm um, very
1: excited. So speaking of creatures, let's talk about Jurassic Park. Are you a fan?
7: Yes, I love it. And this show was definitely the way to represent it.
1: Well, there you go. Tur- two birds, one stone. I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on this series? Uh, but can you go a little deeper on what you liked most about it?
7: Um, I love how this show has, it's kind of like, it's one of those cliffhangers on some episodes, but it's so like deep, well thought out. It's like the person who made it planned this so well. I just love this show. And if this was, if this show was not here, I don't know what I would be doing right now, but I really love the show. And I really think you guys should watch this. It's very good.
1: Wow! So, looking at the looking at the voice cast, you got a lot of a lot of really good people here. So, can you talk a little bit about some of your favorite characters and some of the um, some of your favorite uh, you know voice actors and actresses who play them?
7: Well, one of my favorite characters, um, oh, I forgot her name. It was just uh, 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 I think. Her name was Rennie. I actually interviewed her. She was very, very funny, and I loved her personality in the show, and each character, they fit their role perfectly. I especially love Darius' role. I thought it fit perfectly, and I just really love this show and everyone who voiceovered.
1: All right, so what is the show about, and how does it sort of connect to you know the Jurassic Park movies we know and love?
7: Well, it's about these teens who, um, well, first of all, it started with Darius, whose dad died, but he wanted to go to Camp Cretaceous with him. But the only way he could do that was by beating this video game to get the ticket there. So he decided to dedicate his life to it because he wanted his dad to be happy in heaven. So he finally beat it, and he went there. And he's a very, very big dino nerd. So he was expecting everyone there to be like it, but no, it was all the opposite. There was, there was Kenji, who was just a total brat. He was so rich, he didn't care. He basically could own the park if he wanted to. There was other people who were famous on, like, Instagram and all that. There was someone who was always talkative, and athlete. It's just really crazy, and they go in, and they basically just do everything that they're not supposed to be doing, and this leads to some severe issues.
1: So teens mess with dinosaurs and things go wrong? Yes. <laughs> right, well, that that sounds like a fun uh, fun recipe for a show, and this Not is on Netflix too. <laughs> so, uh, I get to the obvious question: Did you find it to be you know bingeable? Like when you got to the end of an episode, you know that next episode ticker comes up. Uh, yes, I I couldn't I
7: couldn't stop watching it. It's an addiction.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that Netflix does that, man. They're good at it too. Um, <laughs> So talk about. let's talk about some of the dinosaurs we got here. Can you talk about some of your favorite creatures in the show or some of your favorite, you know, the teens' encounters with the creatures?
8: Uh,
7: I have no idea how to even start to pronounce those names. Um, I, I like the T-Rex, you know, the only one I can know how to pronounce. Um, sure. I, li- I like the one that has a really long neck <laughs> and the one with a spiky back. Yeah. <laughs> The, the first season was just going around showing the dinosaurs, you know, like the, the something raptor, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I gotcha. <you. laughs> uh, um, yeah, they should put that on a poster. Something raptor. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> <laughs> so, three season show, I'm curious, does it, how does it evolve over the course of the show? I get the impression you've watched all of the episodes, but going from season one where, you know, they're exploring the park? Does it expand at all? And how does the plot sort of develop over time?
7: It changes, like, dramatically. Um, I think the characters really went through some big changes there. Um, as you can tell from the beginning, they're they're all, like, new to each other. But soon after, they start to, you know, know each other more. And things start to get easier to talk with people. And it's less of, like, shut up, Kenji. It's more like, okay, Kenji. <laughs> <laughs> It's mostly just yelling at Kenji. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And do you have a particular episode that stands out to you as one of your favorites or multiple episodes?
7: Not really. Uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers about some of them. But um, I I just really liked... I I think I liked every episode. There wasn't one that was bad or needed anything about it.
1: And now this is more of a deep cut, but is this show taking place during... Jurassic Park or, like, during the new Jurassic World movies?
7: You know, I was actually wondering that, too. I don't actually know. I, right. it's on, the thing is, it's on an island, so I don't yeah. think it has to do with Jurassic World. I'm pretty I, – I have no idea, actually. I'm just – I don't think it has to do with it because they're on, like, an island. So maybe, maybe not. I don't know.
1: All right. Well, um, what star rating and age rating would you give Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous?
7: Um, If there was more than five, I would give that. But since there's only five, five out of five stars. And I'd recommend it ages eight to 18 plus adults. I would recommend you watch
1: this with your kids. It's very, very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Let's take a break. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by the Genius Generation.
0: To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. For
9: teens, by teens, and about teens, tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express Yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at expressyourselfteenradio.com and check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday.
5: your
2: world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Cruella, The Human Factor, Jurassic World, and Camp, Cret- Camp Cretaceous. And speaking of Jurassic World, right now we're going to he- be hearing Ethan's interview with Rainey Rodriguez and Paul Mikel Williams, who are a star in Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, Season
7: 3. Hi, this is Ethan Person from the Sunshine State of Florida reporting for Kids First, And today I have the pleasure to interview Ronnie Rodriguez and Paul McKell Williams from the popular Netflix series, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous Season 3. Ronnie Rodriguez is an actress and singer. She is known for her roles as Trish in the Disney Channel original series, Austin and Allie, and Maya Blart in the film Paul Blart, Mall Cop and Paul Blart, Mall Cop 2. She played Tess in the 2011 film Prom and won the Best Young Television Actress at the 2013 Imagine Awards. Randy is the voice of Sammy on Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous Season 3. Paul Mikel Williams is an actor who stars in the HBO TV series Westworld and is the feature film The 1517 de Paris. Currently, you can see him on Disney's channel Sydney to the Max or hear him on the popular video game LOL Legends of Runeterra and NBC Universal's 1111. Paul Mikel is the voice of Darius. Hi, Randy and Paul, thanks for having me. Hi. Hi, how are you guys doing? <laughs> are you guys doing? Good. doing good, how are you? I'm good. Uh, first, I just want to say I'm huge fans of both of you and I love the new season. Uh, awesome. You. So um, in your own opinions and like your own perspectives, how are you guys attracted to this role and how do you think it's different
8: doing a voiceover than doing like live action films? I was immediately attracted to this show. I mean, I remember getting the audition for it. And in the email that I replied back to, I remember sending off my audition. I recorded it at my family's tire shop, which is probably the worst place to ever record a voiceover because you need silence. And all you kept hearing was the tire machines in the background. Uh, But other than that, (laughs) I remember putting in the email, you know, fingers crossed. This would be so amazing. This is such a huge franchise. I would be so blessed to be a part of this. Um, so to fast forward a couple months and now I'm here and fast forward a, a year or two and now we're in season three. I mean, this just means the world to me. Um, Jurassic fans are like no other. This franchise is like no other. There's books and, uh, and movies from the 90s, movies today. There's there's comic strips, there's everything. And now to know that our show is a small part of of this huge franchise is just amazing. And to be able to voice Sammy and, and to show people who she is and bring her to life, I mean, we really are just a small portion of the show because we have such amazing animators and writers and special effects team and voice and voice recordings and just so many different people behind us that are just making up this show as a whole. And so I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to be a part of this show. It is literally like no other.
9: Uh, Yeah, the same thing. Um, When I had first gotten called for this, uh, it was under the label name Chomp (laughs) and, um, and The characters were totally different. Uh, I don't entirely remember, like, the different names that they had, but Darius was the only one that I currently remembered. And I think it was, like, so confidential that they had to change all of these names just so, like, it wouldn't get leaked or anything. And then I'd say, like, uh, three or four months later, I had gotten the call to come back in. And um, after that, they had called me for a test session, which was my, actually, I'm pretty sure my first time recording in a sound booth. And I was super duper excited. Um, but yeah, that's, man, I mean, it, I've had so much fun doing the show, meeting all of the people that are collaborating to create this. And um, I'm super excited for the fans to see season three because it is action packed. It is thrilling. It is awesome.
7: I loved it. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I can't wait. I can't wait for a season four if there is
8: one. (laughs) Ethan, you gotta keep watching it and let me want another one. That's what I tell everybody. Tell Netflix. Tell Netflix. (laughs) Let them know.
7: So, um, you know how the characters have been changing throughout the seasons. So, I want to know your favorite part about your own characters and what you're relating to them as they're changing, and how do you think that? I don't know. Just what's your favorite part about
10: them?
9: Uh, yeah, I know that. Um, our characters have definitely been through a lot in all of these seasons. Um, season one, we they didn't really know each other, you know, uh, they were just getting to know each other, they came from totally different backgrounds, they had nothing in common. Um, season two, you could kind of see that relationship building with them, sort of building this friendship that was uh starting to get stable, and in season three, you really see that friendship like solidify into, into family and togetherness of uh, specifically with Darius. He was a lot of an introvert in the, in the first seasons. Um, and I think that definitely came from feeling like he was kind of out of his place, despite being in the place that he always wanted to be um, in season two, you can kind of see him taking that leadership role um, and kind of directing others, um Around for the greater good of uh for the greater good of the of their lives, and then my favorite has to be season three because he's finally letting um someone else take the reins of leadership and he's putting his faith and trust in somebody else so that he can finally you know uh do what he came <laughs> there to do or do what he went there to do and um yeah, yeah I definitely feel like just. Finally, uh, putting time into himself rather than thinking about all of the other people is uh, definitely my favorite thing about him.
8: I feel like the main thing that the characters, just as a whole, have learned and grown from is their ability to adapt to their situation and for their survival. I mean, look at our awesome treehouse that we built ourselves our showers and the way that we cook our food and you know at one point we build that we saw in the trailer an electric fence to sort of protect us from the dangers on the island and I feel like without them working together for a common goal they wouldn't have been able to adapt so quickly and not effortlessly but you know at least with uh, some little trial and error for their part at least to get better for, for what they started with in season one, where it literally was just them running everywhere with no shelter at all, sleeping in trees, you know, to now having like a fully fledged camp that they've, you know, made for themselves. And I feel like Sammy, especially um, in season one, we saw her as this like really over enthusiastic person, but you know, she had this sort of secret that she was keeping hidden in season one. and, And, and once it was revealed, I feel like she had the ability to sort of, okay, now everything's out in the open Here it is. And that definitely comes back to light in season three. And for her, her growth is we get to see different sides of Sammy. She's always positive and she's always optimistic and she's always cheerful. But there are sides of her where she can get fiercely protective of her friends and family. And we get to see a little bit of that this season. And I'm really excited for that because you get to see a whole nother, like, fiercer side of Sammy and her sassier side, which comes out. Um, and I'm really, really excited for fans to see that. <laughs>
7: well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I'll be asking Netflix to put season four. <laughs> yes,
9: do <it. laughs> Yes, do it.
7: I love right. it, thank you. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> Thanks buddy, you all too. All right, thank you. That's all for today. Thank you very much Rainey Rodriguez and Paul McKell Williams for your time. Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous season three will be available on Netflix on May 21st, 2021. So mark your calendars. I'm Ethan Purston reporting for Kids First. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss our latest reviews and interviews. This is Ethan Purston signing off. Goodbye.
1: Let's take a break. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by The Genius Generation.
3: It's time to serve, learn, change the world.
5: find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up.
1: Hey, welcome back. I'm Benjamin Price, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Cruella, The Human Factor, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous Season 3. And right now, we're going to hear M- Micah's interview with Arvi Ragu of Cerebrum.
10: Hi, I'm Micah, reporting for Kids First. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the writer, director, and co producer of the new sci fi film Cerebrum, Arvi Ragu. Arvey Raghu is a well-established director, having worked on multiple projects such as Not A Day Goes By and Date Night. Today, we're going to be speaking about his latest project, Cerebrum. Hi, Arvey. Thank you so much for talking with me today.
11: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
10: Let's just get right in. And the concept of making digital brains and backing up memories is a really interesting one. As a screenwriter, can you tell me about your inspiration for this film?
11: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as as kids and everyone else, like you know this thing called Amazon where you go buy things. Every time you buy a toy or something else, uh, Amazon tells you what else you can buy. And most of the time they are right as like what else you can buy. They, they predict it pretty good. So my, my thinking was, what if one day I'm I'm ill or I'm sleeping or something and Amazon can order on my behalf of what my kids would want and send it over. That was an interesting concept for me. So then I realized, Everything that you do in your daily life, your your pictures, your Facebook posts, your likes, the movies you watch, everything is online. So, which means you can take all the data and kind of create a digital you, which could behave like you and like things like you do. Um, that kind of the concept where I started and kind of like extended out. But again, like, you know, that's just the science part. But as a movie, you need to make it science fiction. So, we kind of like, you know, kind of stretch the truth a little bit to make it a little bit more science fiction
10: Yeah, I definitely saw the science and the fiction part of Digital Brains, but I think people are going to leave that to the movie aspect for now. Um, You play many roles in this film, director, writer and co-producer. How did you manage to juggle all three of those roles and which was most challenging for you?
11: Okay, I'll, I'll answer the second question first, the most challenging one, which is, which is writing for me, uh, because I'm not a native writer. So to make myself sit and stare at a blank screen and be able to write was a difficult part, even though I had the idea in my head. Uh, that was the difficult part. Uh, but, um, I usually wear, I I would call it like wearing multiple hats. Like I would go back and forth, even as, as I was writing, I would write as a writer and just write out whatever I feel like what the, what the movie should look like. Then I would put my producer hat and look at like, okay, you cannot have like an airplane chase or like you cannot have like tanks and like buildings falling off. So go and take that out. Um, While I was directing, that's, that's the same thing I would do. I would direct as a director but as a producer, I would look at it and say like, hey, does this shot make sense? Or would it cost more money for us? Should we not do it? So it's a balancing act of, act of figuring out at what point you make the decision of being a director or producer and, and doing that. But the, the, the part that I enjoyed most is obviously directing because I love working with actors and you know, getting the best out of them. So directing definitely was, was the most that I enjoyed.
10: Well, it's great that you could multitask with all three of your roles. And it's basically like killing three birds with one stone. And this is your first feature film to direct and produce. What's the difference between directing a short film and a feature film like Cerebrum?
11: Yeah, um, so, so short film, you're just like, you know, telling a story of a one or two, two scenes. And also it's about like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, But, you know, feature film, it's not like you can't just take a short film of 10 minutes and say like, hey, it's about like 10 times that effort, but it's actually a lot more than that, because in a feature film, you're worried about the character arc, like are these, you know, scenes making sense? Are they paced correctly? Do the audience, will the audience sit through for the rest of like 20 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever in the movie, uh, it's left in the movie. So you got to think about all of those things. And also when you're editing, it it becomes a lot more tough because it's not just one scene. Now you have to think about like, does this scene work with the previous scene? Does it work with the scene that's going to come like 20 minutes later? Would it make sense? You have to look at all of those things. And when you start cutting things like shortening some of the scenes, you have to make sure the later scenes would make sense with this shortened scene. So there's a lot more, but saying that, you have to make a lot of short films to like, you know, gain all the knowledge as, as a director, like, you know, you need to have knowledge about the camera, the lens, the lights, the sounds and the audios and the music, you know, the music producer, the producer, the action sequence. there's so much that you need to learn. But you, you use your short films to kind of learn about all those things and use that in your feature film. And, and that definitely helped me.
10: Well, I could definitely see the experience when I was watching it. And I knew that there was a lot of talent behind that and um, one of the characters that really stood out to me in this film was Tom Davis played by Christian James. What made you select Christian James for this role?
11: Yeah we initially auditioned for the role of Tom with uh, several several actors but you know we we didn't find the right one and then we came across Christian through one of his one of the talent agents and when Christian came in for a table read you know uh, he came in well prepared That, that that's that's what like totally impressed me like within two pages of reading I knew he was the guy uh, because he did all the homework that he needed to do, he knew like he had to play like various characters and various voices, various mannerisms, and yeah. he brought all those to the table and established within the two pages of reading it and like, he just blew my mind away, and I said, like this is my guy
10: Well, I could definitely see the experience and along with a talented director and co producer and writer, you also need to have the talented actors and Christian James was definitely one of them here, yes he is. This was a very serious and dark film, so the chemistry between the characters is quite different than lighthearted fair. What was your relationship like with the cast on and off set?
11: Yeah, uh, off set, they're, like, they're really good friends. Like, Christian and Alexis were, knew each other from a long time, and uh, Christian and uh, Anirudh got really well, and Christian and James also had like you know a good relationship and all that. So they're really professional actors, so they know like where to draw the line. So every time, like, if you have, like, an intense scene before that, they would try to, like, separate themselves so that they, they they can bring that energy of, like, not liking each other and they would bring it into the scene. But right after the scene is over, they would just, like, you know, hug each other, put, you know, hands on the shoulder and whatnot and talk to each other. So they know how to bring the hatred in the movie, but then, like, stop it after we call cut and become friends right after that. So it was definitely, like, a great experience working with some amazing, amazing talent.
10: Well, that's great. It must have made the experience so much better to have people that actually got along.
6: Mm-hmm.
10: We've been in a pandemic for over a year now. Did COVID-19 affect the production or promotion of Cerebrum in any way?
11: It did not affect the production of Cerebrum because we finished shooting like back in 2019. Uh, okay. We did post-production in twenty twenty. During pandemic, uh, it was not the easiest, but again, since it's post-production, we can do it from home and we use Zoom calls and WhatsApp calls and all that to get through it. So it was not the problem. The only place where it kind of affected was uh, in our releases because we wanted to go theatrical release, but because of the pandemic, all theaters are closed. So we decided to just go straight out video on demand. That's, That's the only change that happened.
10: Yeah, that's unfortunate that you couldn't go to the theaters like you wanted. I mean, I I sure would have loved to see it in person for the press screening, but I think it'll do very well on video on demand because it's very intriguing nonetheless. And given the success of this film, can we expect a Cerebrum sequel? Yes, (laughs)
11: Yes, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it could be a sequel slash a prequel or combined together, right? Like th- there is so much backstory for each of the characters that we did not get to explore in Cerebrum. And also we purposefully did not kill all the characters at the end of the movie. So we, we wanted to keep some of the characters coming back. And so basic idea is to kind of like look at the prequel and sequel and combine combined movie together. And we definitely want to do it. Like, you know, if Cerebrum becomes a, as a success, then a prequel slash sequel is definitely on the works.
10: Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I know the audience that watched this movie will be glad to hear you say that as well. Absolutely. And finally, what do you hope audiences take away from the film?
11: Well, okay, Cerebrum is like a 3 layered film, right? Like we call it the three-layer cake of Cerebrum. Um, you know, the obvious, obvious layer is the science aspect of it. Like, you know, we want like some, some of the audience could take up the science aspect and say, like, oh, this is cool technology, it could happen, it's a possible science, all the cool things that we have shown. Uh, but you know, there could be audiences who are more interested in the drama and the thriller aspect of it. Like, hey, this guy committed a crime that he cannot remember. What is he going to do? Oh my God, what's happening? They could go for that. But obviously, the thing that we want to really people to you know go go uh, take away from this is the father and son relationship. That's that mm-hmm. forms the core of the movie, right? Um, it's it's about like they both coming back together. But what I want people to take out is you could sometimes be mean to somebody and regret it later on, and you will not sometimes have the chance to go back and say sorry. Um, so instead of doing that, try to be more patient. Try to like, see like, more than what you see. Like If somebody does something that you don't like, instead of getting mad, try to understand from their perspective why they are doing it and try to forgive sooner than later. And that's hopefully the message that we want people to take away from.
10: Wow, that's a really um, emotional and touching message. And I definitely think people will be able to take that away. But it's also great that you're kind of leaving it up to the audience to interpret it how you want them to interpret it or how they want to interpret it. And I think it'll work really well. Well, Thank you. So thank you so much, Mr. Arby Raghu, for talking with me today about your new film, Cerebrum. You can find this new sci-fi thriller on video on demand now. So make sure you check it out. I'm Micah reporting for Kids First and be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss my next interview, review, or those of my awesome teammates. See you next time.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps. To learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our blog in the teen section of the Huffington Post and check out our YouTube channel. You can get there easily from our homepage at kidsfirst.org. The show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for the Voice Mary Kids Network. Today's show is sponsored by the Genius Generation. I'm Benjamin Price. Thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your day.